Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Just as we sort of uh, transition from a, that powerful time of worship in the presence of God, let's just take a moment to really seek Him. Lord, I just ask that wherever we are tuning in from, whether it be our living room, our bedroom, wherever it is, God, that we are listening to your word and fellowshipping from this morning. I ask for the grace, God, to silence our minds from the distractions, the things that have been occupying our mind. Lord, I ask that even that you would give us the grace to not be distracted by our current surroundings, whether it be our, our kids in the home or whatever it is that is taking place, whatever activity that is happening at the same time, Lord. I ask for your grace, God, to be able to hear your voice and to come to you, Lord, expecting you to speak to us, expecting you to minister to us, expecting you, Lord, to work in our hearts to serve us, God, in these moments. Lord, we believe that your word is alive. It is active, Lord. And we believe, God, that it can discern our thoughts and discern the things that we are carrying in our hearts right now, Lord. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would search our hearts and that you would help us to understand what it is that we need. That ultimately, God, we need you. Even when we feel we don't need it, God. Even when we are feeling we don't need your word. Help us to understand that it is what we truly need for you alone can satisfy us. So God, in these next moments as we come to your word, give us the grace to hear you and the heart to respond to your truth. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're just settling down. Perhaps you are standing up. I can, I'm just trying to imagine some of you in your living rooms or whichever space you are worshiping in. And I think there would have been some moments there where you, you would have just wanted to just get up and worship. I know that that was me here on my knees and just worshiping the Lord, just really caught up in his presence, soaking every moment in. And one thing that I was reminded of as we were worshiping is truly one day in his courts is better than a day anywhere else. And so thank you, our worship team, for taking us into the presence of God this morning. And I just want to encourage you all, where whatever you are experiencing, there is joy in the presence of God. The strength of the joy of the Lord is your strength today. If you are feeling weary, if you are feeling drained, the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we are still in his presence. We are still he listening to him who is speaking this morning. 
we are still here ready to receive. And so just remember to continue to open your heart for him this morning. I, before I get into the message, I just want to announce as well to our church, not only do I miss seeing you here, and I hope that this lockdown doesn't extend for longer than it has to, but we will be fasting as a church, okay? Now, the details of the fast have not really been announced just yet. And this is because we don't know whether we'll be in lockdown, whether we will be back in, in, in person, um, whether we can worship on site anymore. We don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. But what we do know is that we have set a date for the, the mid-year fast, and that is the 6th to the 9th of August. So if you have your calendar, if you have your phone with you, and you generally mark these dates in, 6th to the 9th, we are going to commit to our fast, whatever platform we need to be on, whether that is on-site or online. Uh, and so we are excited to continue to consecrate ourselves again as a church to come together and to seek God together. We did it last year online and we know how powerful it is even though we had we do it through Zoom and through YouTube. We know that the Lord uh, meets us when we seek him and he works when we are expectant of him to work. So we do not have to be afraid whatever platform we're going to have to do this on, but uh, hopefully you can understand that there aren't many details right now surrounding the, the actual fast itself, the nature of it, but we do know, just like every year, we are going to do three days from the 6th to the 9th of August, okay? Now, into the message today, we are still in John chapter 7. Last week, Pastor Tanwin preached a powerful message about what Jesus' teachings reveal about who he is from this chapter. We, If you missed last week's message, go ahead and watch it on the same channel, uh, and you would see that he breaks it down to his teaching and, and how that really... Uh, points to Jesus as the Messiah. He makes a compelling case uh, on the word, based on the word of God. And so I really do encourage you. Now, but today I'm going to cover some, some similar verses and then I'm going to go on um, to some verses that we haven't covered yet. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to John chapter 7 verses 14 to 36. Okay. So John 7, 14 to 36. Yes, you can read here with me, but if you do have a Bible at home or if you're on your phone, feel free to, to read it with me so that I, uh, so that you can mark whatever you need to on, on your app or on your actual Bible. So verse 14 reads this, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered him, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him 
is true and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Now Jesus is referring to that healing of the invalid man in chapter five in verse 24 he says do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said is not this the man whom they seek to kill and here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ but we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he has sent me. So they are seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going back to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does he, this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go the, to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me where I am, you cannot come? Now, I want to highlight a couple of things from this text this morning. And the first thing is why Jesus is trustworthy. All right, and I've actually titled the whole sermon this, Why Jesus Can Be Trusted with the Things That He Said. I mean, Jesus made some really, really great claims, claims that don't really make sense to the human mind sometimes, yet He gives us every reason to trust Him. And if we look to verses 17 and 18, we can see that, the first point is Jesus is trustworthy because he seeks to glorify God, not himself. You see, in verse 17, I'll repeat this again. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. 
For about a month and a half now, Edwin and I have been working on renovating our new living space. And the process, I must admit, has been a huge learning curve for me. Uh, we've had to hire different tradesmen. We've had to hire electri an electrician, a painter, a plasterer, a handyman, a flooring company. And we've also had to manage that project. And... I will admit I've made mistakes in doing so, and I just want to say if any of you are in the construction industry and building management, uh, kudos to you. Uh, I've made some mistakes, but I have also hopefully learned a lot from them. Now, one of the lessons that I've learned was how important face-to-face -face communication and asking questions is in choosing a suitable tradesperson for our project. Edwin and I have come to the conclusion from the mistakes that we've made uh, that were quite costly as well, that if a quote sounded too good to be true, it probably is. There's probably something uh, that we are missing uh, from, you know, that communication and expectation that we might not be communicating clearly or they may not be communicating clearly on their end. And why this story, other than the, the fact that I... Uh, you know, we are uh, really learning through this process and preparing ourselves uh, for what's to happen with the church renovations. Uh, I believe that's really what God has been teaching us in this season. But really what we have learned is, and I think this is something we all know, it's, it's hard to discern who we can trust. It really is, isn't it? Especially if you don't know somebody, never worked with them, you've never uh, really met them before. It's really hard to, to, to tr know who you can trust, especially when it comes to working on something that's really personal to you, uh, especially when it comes to something that's important to you. Often we're suspicious of some, when we're suspicious of someone, which I think is very often nowadays, uh, what we're really questioning is their motive, right? What we're really questioning is, and what we're trying to discern is that, is that really what they're trying to say? Are they really telling us the truth? Or is there just some small text that we are not paying attention to? Is there an ulterior motive behind the scenes? Like, what are they just saying that to get me to do something else that benefits them? Uh, and even when somebody's too nice, <laughs> often our instinct is to question, what's in it for them, I wonder? Like, why are they too nice? Like, it's almost rare that we would see a really, really nice and kind person without necessarily thinking that they just purely meant it. And... And often our, our, our immediate tendency is to think, what do they want from me? <laughs> you see, the problem that we have in this world is that all truth is essentially somebody's truth. It's hard to know who to believe 
because everything depends on who's telling the story. There are two sides to every story, as we know, and what angle they are telling the story from. Even in a court of law, we the witness swears to say the truth, but really what they're... They're saying to the court is whatever the lawyer thinks is relevant truth. And so at the same time, we're also, we've become a suspicious people and we are quick to point out um, the, the lies that powerful people or politicians tend to make that, that seem to be self-serving. Like, I think it's become habitual for us when election time comes to try and just discern what they really mean and whether or not we can trust that politician. And often we know when, when, when somebody is just saying something but we feel like they don't mean it, we just tend to think that they're being deceitful one way or another. That's just, I think that's just instinctual in all of us. But you see, in these verses, what Jesus is saying is that you can know that he is telling the truth. Like, you can be sure that Jesus is telling the truth because he does not seek his own glory. There is no hidden agenda for him that benefits him that, that he is not telling us about. Jesus performed all these miracles not to gain man's approval, not just to gain our praise, but he did them to glorify God. At the beginning of the chapter, when Jesus' brothers urged him to go to Jerusalem with them and said, so you can do more public displays, you can demonstrate your power more so that the world will see you, so that the world will know. Jesus refuses to go with them to Jerusalem. But you see, in verse 10, we learn that Jesus went anyway. Now, why is that an important detail? It's because it reveals that Jesus' ministry was not motivated to show himself, to show off who he was to the world. Jesus' ministry was not motivated by self-glory. There was nothing selfish or there was nothing self-centered in the things that he did. He was not motivated by the praise of men, which is really what the brothers were concerned about. It's not that they believed in him, but they just wanted him to show off. Because, well, if he can do those things, don't you want to get famous? Rather, Jesus did everything out of obedience, faithful obedience to God for the purpose of glorifying God. He headed to Jerusalem on God's schedule and only did the works that God wanted him to do. Nothing that he did was motivated by his, uh, his uh, hidden self-centered agenda. You see, what the brothers failed to see even what the crowd, after he fed the 5,000, we covered this a couple of weeks ago, what the crowd failed to see when they followed him, but then after a really, really hard sermon, they left him. What they failed to see, what the Jewish leaders failed to see when, when they criticized Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath was 
They failed to see his heart. They failed to see what was underneath all of what Jesus did. Because underneath every miracle that Jesus did was a heart that was motivated purely to honor God and love others. To honor a God who is holy. You see, often the word holy scares us. Because it really talks, it really has this connotation of perfection. And we all know, even though we tend to strive for it, we all know we're not perfect. But you see, the perfection of God means that his love is perfect. It means that his kindness is perfect. It means that his gentleness toward us is perfect. His mercy is perfect. His grace is perfect. It is holy It is pure. Jesus was motivated to honor a God who is love, who is self-giving love. In the next couple of chapters, we are going to see Jesus declaring himself as light. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but let me point out that if God is light... That means there is not one bit of darkness in him. In other words, God is not capable of deception. A light is another word for saying how, or another description of why he is holy. It is pure. There is no darkness in him. In fact, his purity drives all darkness. And so... Jesus is saying, you can trust me because everything I do is motivated to honor God. Not for my own self-glory. You see, I think like the brothers and the crowd and the Jewish leaders, what they failed to see, they failed to see this like, like most of us do because they were focusing only on the outward demonstrations of power. They were only amazed at the things that Jesus could do. And that was as far as their amazement went. They was like, wow. But they didn't understand what they were signs of. In verse 24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. What did Jesus mean by that? He's pointing out that those, those who don't believe in him, they're still just focused on the material and the physical. They're just, they're just focused on the outward things. But to make the right judgment, what we really need to do is look underneath it all. You see, we're often impressed by people who can do great things, like better things than we can. We, are, we often admire people that we perceive to be, uh, to be somebody that we could aspire to be. So if people who have accomplished greater things, people who are at the top of their game, people who are wealthy and, and powerful. But Jesus says, don't judge by the appearances. We cannot judge whether a person is trustworthy based on their actions. 
You see, when we go to like uh, conferences and we see keynote speakers, especially when it comes to building uh, business conferences or conferences that uh, build a that are. Um, what are they called? Like motivated, uh, motivational conferences, things that are self-help related or self-built, uh, self-improvement related. You would notice that the keynote speakers tend to be those who are successful, those who have a lot of wealth, that's all of, and they're going to tell you maybe five steps to achieve better wealth. Maybe they're going to give you three ways that you can get to financial freedom, or maybe they're going to tell you, um, Plenty other uh, pointers for you to improve yourself or your business. But Jesus is saying, don't just, tr- don't just trust the words because of what you can see. An outward appearance does not make somebody trustworthy. We must look at their motivations. What is the reason they are doing the things that make you admire them? That's really what makes a a person trustworthy and pure, that's really what makes all their actions true without manipulation or deception. What's really behind it all? What are they really motivated by? Ultimately, what Jesus is pointing out to us is the mark of all truth is God-centeredness. If we... If you want to trust somebody, look at how they honor God. That's really what he's saying. If you want to be a trustworthy person, honor God. If you see somebody whose heart and passion and desire is all about honoring God and worshiping God, then that's somebody you can trust because they're not in it for themselves. They're not doing this with a hidden agenda. They're not doing this for self-glory. They're doing this for God. Jesus died on the cross not to gain us as followers, but to give us eternal life. He lived not for the praise of men, but he lived for our salvation so that God would be glorified. Now, this is why we can trust Jesus. Everything he did, everything he has promised, it's not for himself. It's not for self-glory. It's for others' sake to display the greatness and the holiness of God. Everything he did was to deflect from himself. It's what makes him trustworthy. Believing in Jesus for eternal life. It means that we see past the works that he does, what he can do for us, past the things that he says to us, and we look into the person that he is. We look at who his character is. This is a God who purely came to serve, not to be served, but to give everything of himself to us. You see, his brothers didn't even know the real Jesus. They, was on, they were only observing the outward Things that they could see of Jesus. And to use the words of verse 24, they were judging only by his appearance. They did not know his heart. They only saw even a reflection of their own desire for human praise. They interpreted everything that Jesus did based on what they desired. 
And I think this is the message for us this morning. We're not supposed to just focus at what he can do. But we are to focus on his heart. This is what gives us reason to trust him. God's heart. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes, it says, God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When we cannot see what God is doing, trust his heart. In the midst of challenges, we often struggle to believe that God is good. Even though we know it, even though we've read about it, we struggle to believe it. We often, especially when a challenge has come or when we are in a pit of darkness, whatever circumstance has been happening in our lives, we often personify God in the worst ways. We picture him as this angry critic and he's sitting on his throne and he's annoyed at all the imperfections and he's out there to punish the world. And if we're honest, we tend to believe that sometimes God withholds good things from us. But we cannot treat our feelings as truth because church, your heart is deceitful. What do I mean by that? One day you could love something and the next day you could change your mind about it. That's how deceitful your heart is. It's not true. It changes. It's, it's frail in that sense. Instead, we need to look to the Bible, which is a book about God, and see what is ultimately true. The Bible often paints a picture of God that is entirely different to our human perceptions, especially when we're in the midst of trial, just like what Calvin was sharing before. Often in the trials, we're thinking God is there to teach us a lesson, but I agree with him. God is not cruel that he will test us something that he hasn't already taught to us and then something that we cannot handle. An example that we see is in the book of Exodus when it tells a story of the people of Israel who were groaning. They were in the midst of darkness because they were enslaved. And they cried out to God to rescue them in their misery. And in Exodus 2 verse 23 to 25 it says, During those days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knows what you are going through. God is aware of your pain, just as he was aware of their pain. And he remembered the covenant that he made with their forefathers. He wasn't distant. He wasn't, but he was working on a plan to set them free. When you cannot trace God's hand, whatever challenging circumstance you are going through, trust his heart and when we know God's heart we will trust him even when we cannot feel 
that he is good. I love this quote by Jen Wilkin. And she says, you're not going to study the Bible when the wheels are off. So in the darkest times of your life, that's not really when you're going to have the capacity to study the word of God. But instead, that's when you need to draw on that savings account. In other words, if we are investing time in our relationship with God every single day, if we are investing time in knowing Him and understanding His heart, if we are investing time in loving Him every single day, in the darkest of days, you will have a savings account to draw from of faith. You will know God's heart and you will, you will continue to walk in his truth. You'll be able to discern the lies of the enemy. You'll be able to not be uh, led by your feelings. To f- you won't be following your heart that is overwhelmed, that is depressed. But you will be trusting the heart of God. A God who wants to deliver. A God who wants to save. A God who did everything he could to empty himself so that we may have life and have it abundantly. When we come to the Lord's presence, do we expect to be comforted by him? Do we expect for him to minister to us, for him to lavish his love on us? Are we eager to experience what he has prepared for us? You see, if we knew his heart, if we really had an intimacy with him, we would know that coming into his presence, there would be fullness of joy and that one day in his courts is better than a day anywhere else. There is a song in the dark, in one of the times of disappointment in my life recently that really strengthened me and Edwin. We sang this together as we experienced a disappointment and we were trusting God for his better plan to be fulfilled in our life. We trusted that whatever we had planned was not as good as what God had planned And in the depth of that disappointment, this song truly ministered to us. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. And just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. What if you simply took Jesus at his word today? What if the promise that you are holding on to, you are believing because you know his heart is pure. And the promises that he has made to you are for your good 
and God's glory. You see, in a time like this, when there is so much confusion, I think the application of this for us is also, how do we know we are walking in the will of God? In these times of trials, in these times of pain, how do we know we are walking in his will? In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You know what this verse is saying? That conformity is not really a matter of behavior. It's a matter of your heart. If your heart was orientated in pursuing God, you would learn to discern his will in your life. And in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 7, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. How can you discern that you are going to make decisions in this time that are according to God's will? How do you know? Honor God. That's the answer. Do all to honor God. Make your life about pursuing him, about knowing him and understanding his heart. And when we do that, and when we orient our, our lives, when we make our lives about honoring him, we will walk in his truth. You see, only a heart that is centered on God is a heart that can live in purity. Everything Jesus said was true because his heart was centered on glorifying God. To our church, God has given us a new heart. How do you live out of that pure heart? How do you live by his truth? Orient your lives around him. Make Jesus the center of your life. Seek first his kingdom. Make God's desires your desires. Do all with the, the heart to honor God in mind. In everything you do, think about whether that honors God. If you're in the middle of making a big decision in your life, Ask yourself, does this decision honor God? It's simple, but I understand it is not easy. But this is how we walk in the will of him. When we make our lives not about what we can get, not about personal glory or gain, but about God's glory, about God. So in this time, I want to encourage you, guard your heart above all. David said in Psalm 86 verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You see, a divided heart is no devotion at all to the Lord. He says, unite my heart 
guard your heart. Is Jesus truly the one who is precious to you? The most precious treasure in your heart. Guard it with all your with all you can. There was so much unbelief. And I really believe it's not because Jesus didn't make himself clear. As we read the book of John, he made his claims clear. He said, I am this. I am the bread of life. I don't think you can get clearer than that. And those who believe in me will receive eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever would believe in him will not perish but will have eternal life. It doesn't get clearer than that. But what really was the root of their unbelief? If we look through the scriptures, we really see that they weren't in it to pursue God at all. That the Jewish leaders did not really learn the scriptures just to know who God was. Because if they did, they would have seen Jesus and recognized him. They were doing it to puff themselves up. Their personal knowledge was, give, was giving them self-glory, self-righteousness. And they loved that better than they loved God. But you see, the Christian life is a call to self-denial. To deny your will, to deny your desires, to abandon your pursuit for self-glory. You will be caught in a life of deception if you continue to pursue self-glory. But if you want to walk in God's light and truth and purity, live for His glory. One final thing I want to point out from this scripture is in verse 30. It said that, these people reacted in such a way to Jesus' teaching, like it really struck a chord in them that they wanted to arrest him. But the Bible says that no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Church, we have nothing to fear because what happens to you is only permitted by God. Nothing will happen to you if God has not permitted it. There's a story in the Old Testament with, in the book of Job. And the story goes in the beginning that the Satan comes to God and says he wants to, to tempt Job. But you see, God only permitted a certain level of temptation to happen. Not only because he knew what Job can handle... But because he, his intention was to also bless Job. And at the end of the story, we know that God not only blessed him, but he doubled everything that he already gave to Job in the beginning. Everything that the enemy had done to Job was under the sovereignty of God and the permission of God. Your life is in God's hands. You have nothing to fear. And Jesus makes the invitation, trust in me, trust in him.
He is inviting you to live for Him. Because that's when you will live an abundant life. You can't do it on your own. Self-glory for you is not going to end well. But if you live for the glory of God, you will find life and life abundant. In God, there is no hidden agenda other than to give you life as you live for his glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace to trust you. Even when our circumstances are telling us something different, our heart is saying something different, God. Give us the grace to see your heart as we know you, as we pursue you, and to trust your heart. When we, in, in times of these, in uncertain times, in these dark times, God, help us to understand your purity, your holiness, and your love means that you are for us and not against us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.